Are you looking for a good book? Then let's talk. Books and Authors is the book show on Futures Television. We bring you the best authors on a variety of genres. There are so many great books out there, so where do we start? Leave the digging for us. You can watch Books and Authors every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific. Hello and welcome to Books and Authors, the book show on Futures Network. I am Rom Gaioso, your host. Today, we're talking about discovering the nature of longevity, how science is reversing damage to our health that starts from birth. Douglas Mohaus' latest book. First and foremost, thank you so very much for your being here with me and my guests. I know your time is very important and I'm the guy who will make sure it is invested wisely. Remember, if you're watching this show via Futures Television, the home of the future on television, or listening to the show via Radio Futures, the wave of the future on radio, you too can be part of the conversation. This show airs on television every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 2 p.m. Pacific. And this show is broadcast via Radio Futures daily, also at 2 p.m. Pacific. If you're not watching us live, please join us in our YouTube channel, and that is IMCI magazine where we continue to chat about the topic of the day all righty so before i get started let me say a few words about our guest my guest today is douglas mohal environmental health expert and together we will explore how the environment affects heart health in addition to that we'll go over some of the latest discoveries and his upcoming book the nature of longevity. Well, without further ado, let's welcome Douglas to the show. Hey Douglas, how are you doing today? I'm great, Ron. How are you? Doing great. And finally, your book is out. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. for the time. So, folks, uh, we had a conversation uh, a few months ago, and he was telling me that the book is coming up, the book is coming up. Oh, I want to hear all about it. So he was wrapping up the book and we're having such a fun and great conversation. I couldn't wait. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy, you know, the, the book launch and all of the activities. But thank you so much for being here. Yeah, well, thanks for having me and uh, and for waiting. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I've been waiting, you know, as well. Where's the book? Where's the book? But it's here. Thank you so much. Well, let, let's so let's get started. So one question, uh, and I think it's very important for people to understand. So you're not actually a physician. You're an environmental health expert. So what is environmental health, really? Uh, actually, environmental health is, is uh, very simple. Environmental health is the impacts that the environment has on your health. Now, the, the important thing is this isn't the type of environment that most people think of. When you say environment, most people, actually, people have two different reactions. The first reaction is, ah, oh, Mother Nature. And the second one is, I, I just I just can't stand all these tree huggers, depending on your point of view. <laughs> but actually, uh, this type of environment is neither of those. This is the environment where we live, eat, and work uh, every day. And what's most important about that is that we spend 85% of our time indoors, not outside. And so your indoor environment becomes critical uh, to your health. So environmental health is actually uh, all of those impacts 
uh, brought together, uh, not only bad, but also uh, good, and the different effects that they have uh, on your uh, both your longevity um, and how you will or will not develop chronic conditions. Wow. Okay, so uh, let's start with the book. So why don't you to please explain to the viewers, right? So what is really unique about the book? So why did you decide to write this book so that, you know, it's not covered in other health books out there? What's the uniqueness here? Rom, I decided to write this book because I couldn't find a book that was out there that showed how long and well we live is governed by our body's response to hidden stress. And I emphasize the word hidden. And I'm going to explain what that means. This is not the type of stress that most people think of, although that is a contributor. This is stresses that are not normally measured by standard medical diagnostics and are not normally considered in the scoring methods that are used, for example, to calculate your heart disease risk. And yet, hundreds of studies over the past more than a decade have shown clearly that these hidden stresses have major impacts on our health. So a hidden stress is something that starts from the day you're born. You don't really detect it. You don't really feel it for a long, long time until a lot of damage is done. And then you have to do something about it. So that's what we're talking about. And we'll get into exactly what those hidden stresses are in a moment. Well, let's start with the heart disease, right? You, you touch on that topic, which is very complex. And for more, as most of us is really scary. So can you give us an example of what this topic means in practical terms for most people? Yeah, sure. And I want to emphasize this is just one of, of many examples. But um, to me, this is one of the most striking ones that, that people can relate to. Peter Bartelli. Peter Bartelli was a long haul commercial pilot. He, he flew, you know, the Pacific and, and the Atlantic. And when he was about four years from uh, retirement, he flunked his regulatory stress test. And when they did more tests, they found that a stent that he had put in uh, several years earlier had blocked. Now, what his doctors told him was, okay, we can put in another stent or we can operate, but in any case, you're going to lose your license because if we put in another stent or we operate, the FAA is going to see you as being too high a risk. So here's a typical situation where someone gets a devastating diagnosis they're going to lose their work. In, this, in Peter's case, he was going to lose half of his pension and he was going to lose the love of his life, which was flying. And how many millions and millions and millions of people around the world who get this sudden type of heart diagnosis are in the same situation? Well, Peter didn't accept that. He actually took action. And what he did was he changed cardiologist and... When he did that, his new cardiologist said to him, okay, uh, you can do two things. 
First thing is change your diet. But the second thing is I want you to try which something which at this time was uh, an experimental uh, nutraceutical or uh, a supplement uh, that has really shown some clinical results uh, in patients. And I'd like to, you, to, you to try it. And uh, this is actually um, an oral uh, set of pills that you take uh, once in the evening before you go to bed. And it was developed by a medical maverick by the name of Gary Mizzou, who had 20 years of emergency room and family practice under his belt. And he got tired and frustrated of seeing so many of his patients getting really sick and dying when standard care couldn't help them. And so that's why uh, he developed this. And he spent a lot of time studying nutraceuticals and what impacts they could have that standard drugs didn't have. So that's the background. So Peter took this and several months later, he took his stress test and he passed it with flying colors. He <laughs> regained his flying license and he flew for 10 more years until he retired by his own choice. With his full pension then? With his full pension. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Peter basically says that this saved his life. So in the book, you talk a little bit about this Jekyll and Hyde effect. So what is that and why is that important? Well, everyone's, uh, I shouldn't say everyone, uh, maybe not millennials, but a lot of people have heard of the classic book, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where Dr. Jekyll uh, is the beneficial doctor and Mr. Hyde is uh, the murderer who uh, goes around murdering people and uh, they're all in the same person. Uh, and uh, Dr. J Jekyll keeps on covering up the sins of Mr. Hyde until it gets completely out of control. I thought that that was a great analogy for so many of the systems that are in your body because those systems almost always do two things at the same time. They make you healthy and they can make you sick. And the classic example of this is of all things, your immune system. So how you respond to infection, how you respond to injury. And uh, your body is designed to work really well with this immune system in the short run. So that's why, you know, you get, you get better pretty quickly uh, if you get a short-term injury usually. But in the long run, that very same mechanism that the immune system uses to protect you turns against you. And this long run process starts from the day you're born because these hidden stresses that are triggering this are happening uh, from the day that you're born. So this is not the case in all animals. Uh, uh, for example, uh, certain types of whale, which are you know highly intelligent, live to be 350 uh, years old. Uh, that's because they, as a species, are millions of years old. Homo sapiens, human beings, are only a few hundred thousand years old. We, we've only evolved recently, and apparently our immune system hasn't quite caught on uh, to that part of the deal. Uh, now, there's nothing that you can do about the way that your immune system behaves, but there is definitely something that can be done 
from the damage uh, that it creates. And we'll get into that uh, in a moment. Yeah, so I've been always amazed when we look at uh, the crocodiles and they say, well, they can't get cancer and they, I mean, they get like a limb chop off and they don't die of infection. And so in the animal kingdom, uh, perhaps there are other, <laughs> other immune systems that were better developed than ours or as you, you know, so I'll explain, we, we haven't been around too long. So perhaps they have the crocodiles coexisted with the dinosaurs. So. And, and what's interesting about that is, uh, of course, a lot of people say, yeah, that's because most of them aren't in, uh, their bodies aren't spending as much time paying attention to their brain as our bodies are, which is true. But that's why I use the example of, of the bowhead whale, uh, because these whales are extremely intelligent. They've been shown to be uh, very intelligent. And if they had hands, we'd probably be competing with them uh, as a species instead of uh, killing them off. But uh, this, uh, so intelligent animals, highly intelligent animals can have a long lifespan. And, uh, I don't get into that too much in the book because to solve that, we're really going to have to start playing around with uh, the, the genetics of our, our body. And we're not uh, quite there yet. What the book focuses on is what we can do right now. What is being done to reverse the damage uh, from that immune response. I have a wonderful question here, but uh, I don't know if I will save it to the end. So I will pose that <laughs> to you and you tell me if you will continue to talk or you want to take a break and answer this question. Beautiful question. Uh, so Miguel Noronha, thank you so much for being with us here today. So it's a pleasure to be here with you all. Congratulations on the initiative. I have a question. What are some effective strategies to minimize the negative impact of hidden stress on our overall health and potentially increase our longevity? Of course, this book is about longevity. So would you rather take a break and go through this now? Or yeah, sure. Because actually, uh, sure. The, the book isn't about longevity. The book is about healthy longevity. Oh, and healthy. So, so, not just so, existing, but healthy. Yeah. yeah. So the question is absolutely relevant. And um, there's many, many answers to it that we run through systematically uh, in the book. But in most health books, what you're going to see is, guess what? Diet and exercise. So to be clear, diet and exercise are really, really important uh, for your overall health um, and for uh, in improving your, your resistance against chronic disease. So I want to be very clear about this. And there are some diets out there, like, for example, uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn Jr. Um, has got the, uh, the heart diet that's been around. It's a best-selling book. Uh, and uh, he has uh, shown quite clearly that this can reverse a lot of the impacts of, uh, of, of heart disease. So to be clear, diet and exercise are really important. But no matter how well you exercise and how good your nutrition is, this has not helped anyone break through this 120 year barrier. It's, it's, it just simply hasn't. We, we haven't broken through that glass barrier of 120 years. It's been there for uh, forever. Uh, what things like uh, sanitation have done for us is there's more people that are living longer. But when you get up to that point, the same thing always happens. And that is your arteries turn to stone. They calcify. 
And this is not just the result of, uh, of, of modern day uh, industry. Uh, and I'll come back to that in a second because I, I want to answer uh, this question. So the thing that we can do on top of that is to use therapies that thousands of people, I want to emphasize this, thousands of people have had prescribed by their physicians uh, over the last uh, 20 years, but the science is now just beginning to show why those therapies are working. And there are two things in particular in the book that we really uh, focus on with this hidden stress that the question is about. The first one is something called metals or more commonly heavy metals. So a heavy metal is just, uh, it's a technical term, but it means a metal that is five times heavier than water. Don't, at, don't ask me why, but that's a classification of heavy metals. So that is things like lead, cadmium, chromium, lithium. Uh, a lot of these nice uh, heavy metals that are actually used in all of our electronics, for example, and they used to be used in, in leaded gasoline and a lot of products today, oddly enough, people don't know it, still have got lead in them. So what's happening is that these heavy metals are bioaccumulating. They're building up inside us from the moment uh, that, uh, that we're born. And sometimes we're even affected by them before we're born, but I'll get into that later. So uh, you, you, and the problem with these metals is standard blood tests don't detect them. Why? Why don't standard blood tests detect them? because they don't test your tissue. And when you think about it, that's where the metals build up. Uh, they very infrequently you know, circulate in large amounts uh, in your blood. Uh, they stick in the tissue. And very seldom are biopsies taken, for example, of arteries or, or something like that. I mean, people take biopsies for uh, cancer diagnosis and things like that. But it's, it's very rare that they take them uh, for metals. The tests are there, but they're not used. So that's, that's number one. And number two is chronic low grade infection. Um, I'll just give you a classic example of this that everybody's familiar with. It's gingivitis. It's the stuff that is in your gums and causes gum disease uh, when you don't floss and brush your teeth properly. It's a very, very uh, common thing. But it's been connected uh, to cardiovascular disease, uh, Alzheimer's, et cetera. Now, a lot of experts are arguing whether or not it's the root cause. But the fact is, there's no one arguing that it's a contributor. It, it takes advantage of the situation. Now, these also build up in us uh, in, with something that's called total pathogen load. So it's the total load of all of those uh, low-grade infections uh, piling up on us. Now, the, the therapies that I describe in the book uh, have targeted one or the other of those or both. And you want, you want me to give an example of, of where, where metals have been targeted? Yes. Okay. So um, peripheral artery disease is a disease that millions of people have around the world. Um, and uh, every year uh, in the United States alone, there are about one and a half million 
revascularizations. That's a long word for replacing your artery because it's plugged. It's a painful and risky operation. And uh, the, uh, the, the second thing that happens is amputation. So if you can believe it, there's more than 150,000 amputations going on every year uh, because the circulation in the feet uh, gets cut off by blocked arteries. Or like diabetes so, feet or something like that. Say again? Like diabetes feet. Ah, good point. This especially happens to people with who have both diabetes and heart conditions. So this is especially uh, important for them. And aside from those millions of operations, there's tens of millions of people that actually have the condition and can look forward to that fate down, uh, down the road. So think, you know, okay, there's no cure for this. Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami, Florida. They had patients who had this problem. Um, 10 of them were scheduled for having their feet cut off, amputations, because their feet, their toes were black. They had gangrene on their feet and they were, they were going to lose them. They were scheduled for amputation in a few weeks. Dr. Havasu Lamas, who is the head of cardiology at Mount Sinai and the chief of cardiology at Columbia University, had earlier performed a clinical trial of about 1,700 patients in several hundred locations across uh, North America. And it was known as uh, the trial to assess chelation therapy. Uh, the reason that he had done that clinical trial was to prove that uh, this voodoo stuff called chelation didn't work. That's why he did it, because he was very conservative. He's a cardiologist, and he got tired of people asking him, uh, do you think this chelation stuff works? And when, when they asked him that question, he realized he actually had no no clinical basis to give them an opinion on it. So he decided to do this trial to show that it didn't work <laughs> by his own admission. And um, after 10 years of the trial, no one was more surprised than he and the whole cardiology community when one of the results of that trial was that diabetic heart patients had a 43% reduction in all cause risk of death. That is a phenomenal result for any drug. Uh, drug companies crave to have that kind of results with their, uh, with their standard drugs. Um, this created a firestorm of controversy, and I'm not going to get into that now. Uh, the, the result of that was Lamas had just finished the study in 2017, and he looked at these patients and he said, I'm going to try this with them. Uh, we've got nothing, really nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. I mean, they were going to lose a foot anyway. That's yeah, and and the, 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 the trial had proven this approach to be safe. And there was one other tiny little detail. The metals that were coming out of these patients, which had not shown up in their standard tests, as I mentioned before, were coming out in very large amounts. I'm talking... 6,000% in some cases above baseline, especially lead, cadmium, and chromium, which are known heart disease triggers. Okay, so these patients started the therapy and uh, they took it for 40 weeks. So obviously they didn't lose their feet over those 40 weeks. Uh, three patients uh, dropped out for various reasons that were really unrelated to uh, the therapy. 
Um, and the seven patients that stayed in, none of them lost their feet. And in fact, they were walking around on two feet. And as Dr. Lama says, in two shoes, not one. With pink feet, everything was healed. And um, this was especially important because there's a 25% chance of death after the first year in these amputations and a 50% chance of death after five years. So these people got their lives back. So this is a stunning example. And the results, including the figures about all the heavy metals that came out of people, the photographs of before and after are published in four scientific journals. Now, that happened in 2017 and 2018. Here we are at 2023, and hundreds of thousands of people are still having their feet cut off. What is wrong with this picture? We'll get into that in a moment. So there's a really good example of uh, the, the answer to the question. So he did actually write the foreword for your book, right? Can you say a few words about that? Yes, that's exactly why I asked him to write the foreword, because who would be better qualified than the guy who said none of this stuff worked um, and who did the actual statistical published clinical analysis of what happened first to uh, these, uh, these, these patients who took the trial to assess chelation therapy and then uh, these other very, very small group of patients who actually took this for their peripheral uh, artery disease. And I was absolutely flattered that uh, he agreed uh, to do it. But it just goes to show that here you have very conservative uh, cardiologists uh, running one of the most advanced uh, hospital programs in the United States. He wrote the foreword to this book because uh, he told me that he thinks, and actually this is on, on the website, uh, that the problem that we have today is that standard therapies are not designed to target these triggers. I'm going to say that again. Standard therapies are not designed to target these triggers, nor are the di standard diagnostics uh, that are uh, designed to look for heart disease, nor are the standard scores that are done to rate your heart disease risk. None of them consider these things and that's a big reason why I wrote the book and why I asked Dr. Lamas to do the foreword. Okay, so let's say a little bit in, on topic. So you're talking about all this, this new therapies and all innovation in terms of uh, uh, medical. So that's basically, you know, advancement in medical science, right? So could you give us some examples of the kinds of discoveries that actually led to these new therapies? So what what was kind of the genesis that led to the adoption, the creations of, of these new therapies that are different from the ones that we have today? Well, that's the funny thing. Uh, a lot of these therapies aren't new. I mean, for example, oh, nanobacteria. No, okay. But it's a good question you ask because people think, well, these must be new. Well, actually, some of them have been around for 20 years. You know, like nanobacteria X has been on the market for, uh, for 20 years, but only the recent science has started to show why some of this stuff oh. works. And if you go way back, several thousand years, you know, every doctor in the United States takes the Hippocratic Oath. It's named after Hippocrates, the physician, the Greek physician Hippocrates. Well, Hippocrates actually identified this problem 2,500 years ago when he said, anyone who wants to practice medicine should take account of the impacts of our environment on our health. Uh, 
So environmental health. Uh, so this uh, this has been around for forever. Um, but the problem is that today, um, and I, I want to emphasize something, this is not the fault of doctors. Today, the system is not set up to pay attention to these uh, environmental uh, factors. So that is a big issue. Having said that, it is also beginning to change. So it's, it's not uh, you know, an entirely static system. And I'll give you an example of why. Um, this, and when I breathe, and when I walk, uh, every breath you take and every step you make is powered by an elastic fiber that's in many parts of your body. It's called elastin fiber. Now, elastin fiber is the longest lasting protein uh, in your body. It's, it's really designed for a lifetime, but unfortunately, quite often, it doesn't last that long. And the reason that most people have never heard of elastin fiber is because even though it starts to degrade when we all hit about the age of 30, there was nothing that doctors could do about it. There, there was, they, they had no way of being able to repair and restore the elastin fiber that is in the arteries, that is in the lungs, uh, that is in our tendons. And, uh, you know, it, uh, elastin expands and contracts to eight times its length in a fraction of a second, billions of time in your lifetime. And anyone who wants to know what elastin does, you can go like this. So in an older guy like me, when you, when you pinch your skin and you pull it up like this, and then you let it go, you see <laughs> it kind of goes down slowly. But a younger person, it'll snap right back. That's because the elastin in my skin has degraded. And in the younger person, it hasn't degraded as much. That is elastic fiber. And that's why it's so important. So can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. Uh, you, I mean, I know I'm picking on the words, what you said, it hasn't degraded. So it has been degrading for a while. Is that what you're trying to say? But it hits some, some level in our bodies. When does it start degrading? Well, this is part of the Jekyll and, Jekyll and Hyde effect that I talked about uh, earlier, because your immune system actually turns on your elastin uh, uh, your elastic fiber. So basically, uh, you're okay until you're about, you know, 25 or, or 30, and then something really weird happens. And this is another one of the things that the body does that still no one understands today. Even the most advanced elastin uh, scientists, I've asked them all, they say, we don't, we don't know why it happens. Um, your body stops assembling elastin fiber. So when it's oh. damaged, it's, it's not replaced. Instead, what happens is that your inflammatory response, your immune response, keeps chewing away at the damaged fiber to you know get rid of it. And guess what? There's nothing to replace it. So this becomes a vicious cycle of what we call the injury, which is all of this hidden stress injuring the elastin. So metals, infection, physical injuries, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things, bad diet, uh, you know, you name it. This, this all has a biochemical effect uh, on, on your elastic, which is fine as long as you're replacing it. Then your body stops replacing it. Isn't it strange that actually after you hit the age of 30, you start feeling a little more tired? Well, guess what? That's the reason. That's a very big reason why. Because 
the elastin inside you is starting to degrade and you're starting to get this vicious cycle of an immune response. So um, as I said, doctors have been able to, uh, to uh, repair it. It's an extremely complex uh, material. So uh, around about 2000, uh, three groups of scientists around the world started working on this. And today, fast forward, they found a way to fix it. And some of it is in your skin. Some of the repair that's going on is in skin and wound repair. It's being done by uh, Professor Anthony Weiss's uh, group out of, uh, out of uh, Sydney, University of Sydney, Australia. Uh, they've actually licensed the whole thing to a very large uh, uh, um, biopharma uh, company uh, who are using it for, uh, for wound repair. Um, the, uh, the other uh, two, uh, one is for aneurysms. Uh, aneurysms are these bulges in your artery that if they burst, they can kill you. And they often do uh, kill people. And there, uh, until now, there's been nothing that could be done about them. And the third one is all through your cardiovascular uh, system in the gradual degradation and the hardening uh, of your arteries. So go back to the aneurysms uh, for a moment. Today, there are clinical trials going on where they have shown initial success in reversing these aneurysms without surgery for the first time in history. And so this not is just not to stop the damage, reverse the damage. Reverse it so that the artery strengthens and, and comes back uh, to normal. And the way that this has been done, strangely enough, um, is with a naturally occurring chemical that occurs in everything from grapes to, uh, to vegetables. Um, and it's called a, a polyphenol. And uh, it's a type of polyphenol uh, that um, is called pentagalloyl glucose, which doesn't mean anything to anybody except scientists. It's called, we abbreviate it as PGG. So um, PGG has this amazing effect when you deliver it directly to the elastin. So if, if, you, if, you, if you take it, if you eat it, it, it doesn't really help because it gets too diluted. You've got to deliver it. A few pounds of, of, of grapes before I get that, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, no, you can't, uh, you, you know, you can't solve can't that problem. That way. Okay. No, no. So when they deliver this with a, a stent device directly to the aneurysm, uh, the elastin started to regenerate. Um, and uh, so these, these, that, that's what's happening. Now, parallel to that, uh, the same type of polyphenol is being used. Um, and by the way, bo both of these discoveries come out of Clemson University uh, in, in South Carolina. And it's being driven by a team that was organized by uh, Dr. Naren Vivahari. We'll, we'll come back to him uh, in later shows. But uh, Vivahari is the one who really discovered uh, that these polyphenols could have this effect on elastin. And what he focused on, aside from uh, the aneurysms, which had been farmed out to another uh, company, um, is that you can do this systemically as well. But, of course, you can't deliver it with a stent all through your system. So he uh, put it together with tiny, tiny, tiny nanometer-sized uh, nanoparticles that are biodegradable. 
and he put the drug inside the nanoparticles, and then he attached what's known as an antibody, and this particular antibody has been designed to be specific for damaged elastin. So it goes straight to the problem. Now, and can I you for another thing? Uh, so you're talking about the heart, but I know that you write a lot about uh, hardening of the arteries and something else that hardens is in our brains. Uh, could that give us some hope that the elastin could also help in, in the damaged you know, neural connections there or not? Is that yes. possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Calcification is a huge problem in the brain uh, for stroke, uh, for dementia. It's called vascular uh, dementia. And it's the elastin that is calcifying. And when you, when you think about it, it makes sense. Eh? You got this elastic falling apart inside you. The immune system's trying to fix it. And, and when it can't fix it, it tries to wall it off with calcification. So that's why you get this hardening of the arteries. It's not the only reason, but it's a very big one. And Dr. Vivahari not only found how to restore the elastic, but he also found a chemical that is the very similar to the chemical that was used by Dr. Lamas mm. to fix his peripheral artery disease patients. He put that into another nanoparticle. So first he was able to get rid of the calcification and then he was able to restore the elastic. It's a phenomenal piece of bioengineering. I mean, it's just amazing. And there were a bunch of PhD students that worked on it, as well as a scientist by the name of uh, Dr. Charles Rice, who developed the antibody, beautiful antibody, that's very specific for this damage to elastin. So this whole team worked together to do this. And it is, uh, I cover it in a lot of detail in the book. I have to say, I'm a co-founder of one of the companies, it's called Elastrin Therapeutics, uh, that is developing this systemic approach. Uh, Dr. Vivahari is on our board of directors, and I am just totally jazzed about it <laughs> because I, I think it's going to transform the whole way that we approach cardiovascular disease. Well, and not just you. So one of the reasons why, of course, I, I often come and talk to you is because me, like a lot of people, you know, in our modern day world, we're attached by those things or our elderly parents or dementia or things like that. So it's something that when you say there's there's some hope out there and it's it's not quack, right? It's the uh, uh, the school of medicine of this place or the other with scientific tests and, and going through, you know, FDA programs and things like that. Uh, that, you know, it offers, you know, hey, not just, you know, you can't, you, uh, don't just exist in the future, but as you explain, you know, healthy living and reversing damage and just not just managing, it looks like we haven't been doing a very good uh, job at, at managing. And actually you say some, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, some of those illnesses are blamed on the modern, you know, lifestyle, but you say that you know it's been around for a very long time, isn't it? It's been limiting our life, Rom, for ever since humans uh, wa walked the earth. Um, I'll just give you two examples: Egyptian mummies and um, and ice age uh, uh, people who were frozen in in the glaciers that a lot of people have heard about. They both have fine white lines tracing where their arteries uh, used to be. That's calcification. Uh, these people died at a relatively young age, so they had heart disease at a young age and they didn't have any modern uh, industry. But what they did have, some of them, 
was agriculture, that um, some types of agriculture are, uh, some types of crops are really good at taking up heavy metals from the soil. And that's how they get into your diet. Uh, these people had fires. Well, these fires generate smoke that has heavy metals in it. So the wildfires in, in California West have been going on. Uh, these particles uh, hitch a ride uh, and, and people are breathing them. So uh, the, the same type of fires that there were thousands of years ago that people used to you know, keep warm and cook, uh, well, we're cooking our forests and that's the same stuff that's coming down. So these hidden stresses, in the case of smoke, it's not so hidden, but the, but the damage it does is hidden, um, are the real cause. And it, it's, it's only been the last 10 or 15 years where we've had the technology to see at the molecular level. So again, it's not the fault of the doctors. Uh, it's just taken that long to do this type of, uh, of, of diagnosis. And the good news is that uh, now that, that we can see this is going on, uh, there are solutions. And I want to emphasize, because you said going through the FDA process, which we're going through right now, but actually uh, products like Nanobac TX are non-prescription. Uh, you can order them online. And so uh, these like are... Like vitamin C or something like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, well, yeah. And so these, these are available uh, right now. And that's one thing that I want to keep emphasizing. People need to inform themselves about this. And I, I just want to be clear I'm not giving medical advice here, right? I, I'm not a physician, as we mentioned earlier. My background is environmental health, but environmental health is an area that most physicians openly say they were they were never trained for. All the doctors that I interviewed for the program, uh, for the show, and for the book, uh, said, "Yeah, you know, we we don't get that that kind of training," and they and they welcome it. So uh, it, this isn't a blame game. Uh, this is wow, you know we finally got this new information that shows us why this stuff has been working for the past uh, few decades. And so let's bring it in from the cold. Okay, so let's go, oh, so let's fast forward from the, the ice age back to the present day. So Miguel has a different kind of question for you. So, you know, what are the effective strategies for reducing exposure to toxic metals and other pollutants? Uh, and how can we support our body's natural detoxification processes uh, to minimize this tissue degradation or end related health yeah. risks. So what can we do basically? We can do a lot. We can okay. do a lot. Now, uh, because when I say my background is environmental health, uh, one of the things that I do is I, I co-design healthy buildings. A healthy building is a building that isn't a sick building and most of our buildings are sick. And what that means is that they allow uh, all this energy efficiency has gone into sealing up buildings. All the pollutants get sealed inside. Uh, the mm -hmm. materials in the buildings are quite often uh, toxic. Uh, the smoke that's coming in gets sucked into the ventilation systems and sometimes isn't filtered properly. And the people that go into buildings bring all of their toxic stuff in their clothes and they're breathing CO2. All of this builds up inside of buildings and you get a sick building. So what I do is I help to design uh, these uh, these healthy buildings. Well, guess what? Healthy buildings have been shown to reduce the risk of heart disease simply because um, they not only filter out, but they also avoid the creation of, in the first place, uh, these uh, nanoparticles and microparticles that are creating 
and triggering uh, this hidden stress. So the very first thing that everybody can do is to make sure, especially these days when a lot of people are still working at home, is to make sure that the air quality in your home and in your office is high. And that can be done both through filtration and also making sure that you've got the right materials that are going into that building. And a third thing that's really important, the way the building is maintained. Are the ventilation systems being maintained uh, properly? What type of cleaners and solvents uh, are they using? And keep in mind, we spend 85% of our lives indoors. So this is a controllable environment. And so this is one of the major things that we can do. It's therapeutic. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, the doctor is, 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 is not trained to say, yeah, get a healthier building. But in fact, getting a healthier building is one of the best things that you can, uh, that you can do for yourself. So there that's are lots the of other things we live in, right? So that's what, how you started your talk is where we live and 85% of our time is indoors. So get that place straight now. Sure. Now, the other thing that you can do is, um, well, you know, a lot of people I know uh, don't think this is important, but organic foods have a much lower uh, toxic load risk. That's all there is to it. And, uh, you know, you are what you eat. And, and keep in mind, this stuff builds up in you over, uh, over time. So I would say buy organic and make sure it's certified organic. And that's not going to protect you 100%. But when you look at some of the stuff, it's, uh, pesticides especially have a very bad habit of containing uh, some of these metals. And it's not just metals. It's the other toxins that, uh, that create this, uh, this, this response. Um, I will have to say that going, going plant-based is even better or maximizing your, your plant-based diet because what they're putting into these animals uh, God knows what it is. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, uh, red meat is by its very nature, uh, pro-inflammatory. There's, there's no secret about that. Uh, I'm not telling people anything they don't know. There's been half a dozen, uh, documentary films. You can see them on Netflix, uh, that, that document all of this, the game changers, uh, that show that, uh, the plant-based diet is much better for your, <clears throat> for your performance. So, these are all things that you can do and you can exercise, as I said earlier. Okay, well, <laughs> Excuse me. A, a provocative statement here, but it's, it's a very good question. So hi, Bizir, thank you for being uh, with us today. So forest fires and numerous pollutants, uh, long-term impacts have been wonderfully prevented <laughs> and given the long-term hazards, should we treat them as weapons of mass destruction? <laughs> Perhaps we should, Bizir, thank you. Should well, we? right. So unlike the situation in Iraq, we know they're there. <laughs> yeah, well, we really know that they're there. Those, those <laughs> weapons of mass destruction are, yeah. are real, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, seriously, though, it's a very good uh, uh, question. Uh, they're never going to get treated like weapons of mass destruction, even though they're, they're killing more people than all of the wars. And I have to say, all of the pandemics uh, put together. I mean, 49,000 people a day, a day, are still dying from cardiovascular disease when these therapies are out there uh, uh, right now. But coming back to the question, they, they should be recognized, and this is what Dr. Lamas argues, 
And this is why he published on this material. Heavy metals should be recognized as in, in the scores that are used to determine your health risk. Um, total pathogen load of all the low level infections that are inside you. Uh, these need to be developed and put out as standardized uh, testing uh, methods. So, so you, you don't find what you're not looking for. And if it's not in the score, your doctor isn't going to look for it. So get it into these risk scores is, is one of my major messages. And in that sense, one, you know, yeah. treating it like it's a weapon of mass destruction is, you know, an effective way to uh, to do that so it's 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 a good point you don't call it a weapon of mass destruction because uh it's not usually leashed upon us deliberately uh, which weapons of mass destruction are are seen as it's just uh it's been there for thousands of years it's been made a little bit worse and a little bit better by our modern society you know people always say how it's making us sick but the fact is if we didn't have modern society we'd all still be dying in droves by the age of 10. Uh, I think we'll get into that in a moment. But uh, yeah, so that's the answer to the question. Yeah, treat them seriously, uh, get the diagnostics out there, and start standardizing the approaches to these. So let's go back to, you know, again, I'm picky on, on the words, but you use the expression tree hugger, right? So you have done a lot of work in the environment, but you don't seem to have a very favorable view of modern nature or the tree huggers per se. So could you explain the contradiction? How does that work? Ah, it's very simple. Mother Nature has been, uh, and this is the Jekyll and Hyde effect, right? Mother Nature nurtures us and kills us off at the same time. Uh, it wasn't long ago, you know, not more than a century ago, where the uh, the mortality rate before 10 was severe. People could look forward to having, uh, you know, three out of seven children uh, die before the age of, of 10. And then tuberculosis uh, got the rest of us. So people who, you know, say, oh, Mother Nature. Nature isn't our mother. It's our teacher. And we need to learn from it. And we need to take the best from it. But to think that it's all going to take care of us, nature is agnostic. It doesn't, it doesn't care about us. It really doesn't. Um, and, and that's not to say it's bad. It's just that it's agnostic. And we've learned that. So that's why I get a little irritated with my, uh, you know, some of these people who keep talking about how wonderful and how nature is so great. And, you know, well, yes, it is. But we have to take the good with the bad and figure out, you know, how to uh, take the best and leave the rest. Okay, well, uh, so let's go back to the other thing you, you talked about, uh, you know, the, the therapies that we have or we don't have access to. So can you explain why we don't have wider access to those therapies like you explained, the one that could save your foot or help your heart, you know? And they seem to work uh, better than the standard care. So why, why, why can't we have them more? Where are they? Are they hiding? Well, that's actually, I spend uh, quite a bit of time on that in the book because... Uh, what I describe in the book is different subjective perceptions about why we don't have these therapies. And there's a lot of them, you know. Uh, one is it's a drug company conspiracy to, uh, you know, keep us sick so that they can, they can continue uh, making uh, money. Another one is um, uh, that, uh, well, this stuff just uh, doesn't work and I don't believe you. Uh, never mind the facts. Uh, it's fake news. Okay, that's that's perception is is reality. Uh, 
Um, another one is the absence of diagnostics. You don't find what you're looking for. So you have to take all of those perceptions and realities and put them together to find the answer. Um, it's basically a perfect storm that has prevented us uh, from having these uh, approached. There's also something called uh, the tomato effect. <laughs> the tomato effect was coined in 1984. It was published in the medical journal, The Lancet, where they cite the refusal of health experts to believe in a new therapy because it doesn't suit their training and their view of the world. Subjectivity. And it's called the tomato effect because in the 17 and 1800s, no one in the uh, United States uh, ate tomatoes. And the reason was because someone got the bright idea that they were connected to the deadly nightshade plant and that they would kill you if you ate them. Never mind that Peruvians had been eating them for 2,000 years and the Europeans had been growing them and eating them forever, where most of you know most people came from in those days. Nope, someone got this idea and it went on for 200 years until one day in, um, in Salem, New Jersey, a merchant walked into the town square, put down a bushel of, of tomatoes and, and proceeded to eat them all and didn't get sick and didn't die. And that killed the fake news. And that's the tomato effect. So today we're basically having to do the same thing. You know, getting a bushel load of these therapies, show, having the studies that show how they work and killing the fake news. So, uh, you know, that's, I think, a, a really good example. Uh, entrenched beliefs. Yes, there is, uh, there is a lot of, uh, you know, drug companies uh, uh, suppressing uh, therapies that, that work better. There's, there's no question about that, but it's not the only cause. So it's this perfect storm of things that are put together. And again, the good news is anyone who wants to look for this stuff can find it. And in the book, uh, I just talk about where you can look. I don't recommend that people take it uh, because of this. We're all our own person. We are all individual. And the beauty of this situation is there's not just one therapy. There's a number of them, uh, you know, from Caldwell Esselstyn's, uh, uh, you know, heart uh, diet uh, to uh, the, um, uh, the metal chelation therapy that Dr. Lamas is doing, which is an intravenous therapy, uh, to the oral nutraceutical uh, that Dr. Gary Mazot has been using to target uh, low-grade infections and heavy metals and is an over-the-counter uh, thing that you can you can order uh, online. So and, and there's more. So uh, that's another reason why I wrote the book is was to just give the overview of what these things are so that people can inform themselves. Okay, so let me see if I understood. Okay, repeat the story back to you and tell me if I missed something. So elastin is the longest protein in our body. It's very beneficial. It's the one that keeps us gives us the elasticity for a variety of our body systems. Uh, we don't replace it, and when it starts dying, our our own internal, um, you know, antibody system starts to chew it away. And because we can't get rid of it all, we build calcification around it. So we turn our body turns against itself, and calcifies the arteries of the brain, the heart, the feet, and everywhere. Is that is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that, that? that's that's correct. And by the way, it's not just the elastin. The reason I use elastin as an example is because. Uh, no one's heard of it. You know, they hear about collagen. 
but you know, because they, they think that, oh, if I repair the collagen in my face, my, I won't sag. Guess what? That's wrong because collagen provides strength, but it doesn't provide flexibility. It's no, the elastin that provides the, the flexibility. And the other thing, Ram, just to finish that thought is that the degradation of the elastin is one factor, but it's this chronic inflammatory response around your body to all of these hidden stresses. And it doesn't just affect the elastin. You know, it affects your organs. It affects everything uh, inside you. And uh, so, uh, yeah, there you have it. Wonderful. So, folks, if we want to know more, www.calcify.com. That is the name of the website. And again, let's uh, go back for a second. So it's discovering the nature of longevity, restoring the heart and body by targeting hidden stress by Douglas Mohau. Where can and, I find the book? Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, available uh, at Amazon and in all uh, booksellers uh, in a few days. Wonderful. As soon as that link is up, please share it with me. And folks, I will embed the link to Douglas Mohaus' book in the comment section of, of this video. And again, uh, you know, we are just really scratching the surface here. We can certainly continue the conversation, but I'm afraid that's all, all the time we have for today. So you, you have to promise you're going to come back. There's, there's so much more to talk about, you know. Please. Oh, yes, know. there are, Rom. Uh, I mean, there's trillions of tiny blobs running around your body that actually run your body's business. And uh, th that's really exciting. We haven't even talked about that and what's going on at Harvard. And there's there's tons of stuff to uh, talk about. And I just wanted to add that by the time, you know, people have seen the replay of the show, they've downloaded it, uh, the book will be uh, available. Uh, and, I, you know, I want to really thank you for, uh, for having me on the show because I wrote this book to get the information out to the, these people. And I want to thank you for having the courage to do this show so that more and more people could be aware of it. The book is just a mechanism to do that, but shows like yours are equally, if not more important. Thank you so much. I think really our our job and my job and the other people in the media is just to look at the good information that is out there and, and bring it to people's attention. You know what, this is available, you know, go inform ourselves, you know, if you have a question, so how often do we go to WebMD and look for some things and then with that information, we can go back to our doctors and debate, you know, say, what is the best course of action? Is there any alternative over here? So we're talking about an alternative. So just bring this information. Again, let's be clear. Douglas Mohau is not a physician giving you a medical advice over the internet. What he's saying is get informed, read, understand what the environment, he defined what the environment is, where we live, the stuff that is around us. Take this information, get informed, visit the sites, read the book, watch the interviews, and then take all this information and sit with your own physician and have this conversation. That's what I think you're saying, right? Rob, you said it better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> again, and I, I sincerely hope you can come back. And folks, uh, again, uh, that's all the time we have for today. You can watch this show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 2 p.m. Pacific on Futures Television via you know, Apple TV and Roku TV. And we are daily on Radio Futures, 2 p.m. Pacific, of course. All synthesis and information is published on IMCI Magazine every, every other two months. So I wanted to say thank you very much. But in my thank you, I'm going to leave you with our institutional message. And of course, one more time, I will leave you with this information. Discovering the Nature of Longevity by Douglas Mohal, Restoring the Heart and Body by Targeting Hidden Stress will be available soon. 
and Amazon.com. As soon as I get the link, I will share it with you again. Thank you so very much and see you next time. Goodbye. Are you looking for a good book? Then let's talk. Books and Authors is the book show on Futures Television. We bring you the best authors on a variety of genres. There are so many great books out there, so where do we start? Leave the digging for us. You can watch Books and Authors every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific.